Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking about ESG, or Environment, Social, and Governance, uh, as it fits in and has tension with corporate corporate profitability or the whole notion of maximizing corporate profitability. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, about some of the things that are going on today that are driving the news. It is June the 21st, and on this day, it's the first day of summer, summer solstice, solstice in the Northern Hemisphere, the longest day of the year. On this day in 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth and last necessary state to ratify the Constitution of the United States, thereby making the document the law of the land. In, 19, in 1786, defects in the post-Revolutionary War Articles of Confederation were apparent, such as the lack of central authority over foreign and domestic commerce. Congress endorsed a plan to draft a new constitution, and on May the 25th, 1787, the Constitutional Convention convened at Independence Hall in Philadelphia. On the 17th of September, 1787, after three months of moderate uh, debate uh, moderated by Convention President George Washington, the new U.S. Constitution, which created a strong federal government with an increased intricate system of checks and balances was signed by 38 of the 41 delegates present at the conclusion of the convention. <clears throat> As dictated by Article 7, the document would not become binding until it was ratified by nine of 13 states. Beginning on December the 7th, five states, Delaware, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Georgia, and Connecticut, ratified it in quick succession. However, other states, especially Massachusetts, opposed the documents as it failed to reserve undelegated powers to the states and lacked constitutional protection of basic political rights, such as freedom of speech, religion, and the press. In February 1788, a compromise was reached under which Massachusetts and other states would agree to ratify the document with the assurance that amendments would be immediately proposed. The Constitution was thus narrowly ratified in Massachusetts, followed by Maryland and South Carolina. On June the 21st, 1788, New Hampshire became the ninth state to ratify the document, and it was subsequently agreed that the government under the U.S. Constitution would begin on March the 4th, 1789. In June, Virginia ratified the Constitution, followed by New York in July. On September 25, 1789, the first Congress in the United States adopted 12 amendments to the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and sent them to the states for ratification. Ten of these amendments were ratified in 1791. In November 1789, North Carolina became the 12th state to ratify the U.S. Constitution. Rhode Island, which opposed federal control of currency and was critical of compromise on the issue of slavery, resisted ratifying the Constitution until the U.S. government threatened to sever commercial relations with Rhode Island. On May the 29th, 1790, Rhode Island voted by two votes 
to ratify the document, and the last of the original 13 colonies joined the United States. Today, the United States Constitution is the oldest written constitution in operation in the world. Amazing. What is that? 234 years uh, as uh, our Constitution. Well, you may have heard the National Hurricane Center was warning that the tropical depression that formed, uh, Brett, formed Monday, uh, could turn into a rare June hurricane bound for the Caribbean. Water in the Atlantic Ocean is historically too cool in June for a hurricane to form. The National Hurricane Center is no longer calling for Brett to reach hurricane intensity prior to the islands, uh, and the storm is most likely to dissipate over the weekend of the central or eastern Caribbean thanks to unfavorable upper-level winds caused by a trough over the eastern United States. Remnants of Brett will likely continue west into Central America early next week. So, crisis averted with Hurricane Brett coming our way. Governor Ron DeSantis strongly criticized the plea agreement reached between President Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, and the Department of Justice on Tuesday. On Tuesday, Hunter Biden agreed to plead guilty to two charges related to his failure to pay income taxes and entered into a pretrial agreement regarding the illegal possession of a firearm while being an illicit drug user. Republicans, including DeSantis, have criticized the deal, arguing that it exemplifies a pattern of Democrats receiving more lenient consequences for their wrongdoing compared to Republicans. Looks like Hunter received a sweetheart deal and is not facing any charges on the massive corruption allegations, DeSantis said in a tweet. If Hunter was not connected to the D.C. elite class or to the Biden family, he would have been put in jail a long time ago. Former President Trump didn't hold back, of course, with who is facing 37-count indictments stemming from allegations he mishandled classified documents after leaving office, called the charges against Hunter Biden a mere traffic ticket. While the corruption Biden DOJ just cleared up hundreds of years of criminal liability by giving Hunter Biden a mere traffic ticket, our system is broken in caps. Trump posted that on True Social. The deal between Delaware U.S. Attorney and Hunter Biden's is expected to resolve the five-year investigation into the president's son, and if approved by a judge, he will likely serve no jail time. Tucker Carlson waited on uh, Tucker Carlson's sweetheart deal in his fifth 13-minute episode of Tucker on Twitter. Over two million views of the uh, Tucker on Twitter, the fifth episode, uh, occurred in the first hour and this morning. As of 6.30, there's been about 8 million people who have viewed that 13-minute segment. I would imagine that right now Fox is crying the blues about losing Tucker. Not a very smart thing to do. Well, the House Ways and Media Committee took up final steps uh, Tuesday to release the public to the public as early as this week the testimony and evidence from an IRS whistleblower who alleges the Justice Department gave favorable treatment to Hunter Biden and engaged in political interference in the criminal tax case against his, the uh, first son. Committee Chairman Jason Smith, a Republican from Missouri, scheduled an executive session for 8 a.m. Thursday morning where lawmakers are expected to vote to free the whistleblower evidence and testimony of uh, IRS supervisory criminal agent Gary Shapley uh, from the 1603 privacy requirements that normally shield Americans' tax information from public disclosure. 
The development came just hours after U.S. Attorney David Weiss in Delaware announced in a court filing that Hunter Biden had struck a deal to plead guilty to two misdemeanor charges of willfully failing to pay taxes and enter a probation program that could have limited a third charge, a felony, accusing him of lying on a gun application. Well, you know, I think there's probably going to be some more money revealed. I would imagine that they will continue to investigate this. But what a sweetheart deal uh, for Hunter Biden. Representative Lauren Boebert introduced articles of impeachment against President Joe Biden. Uh, Boebert introduced the motion on Tuesday evening, teeing the uh, motion up for a full vote on Wednesday. That, according to a whip notice, because of the motion was filed as privileged resolution, House rules dictate the legislation can be brought up for a vote, even without the approval of leadership. The articles introduced by Bobert accused Biden of facilitating a complete and total invasion at the southern border by ending a slew of Trump-era immigration policies after taking office, including the Title 42 policy lifted last month. That uh, COVID-19-era rule allowed Border Patrol agents to expel immigrants immediately upon encountering them. Bobert, who's uh, seeking to impeach Biden on two charges, including one count of abuse of power and one count of dereliction of duty. I predict uh, he will be impeached. I don't think there's a chance he'll be convicted, but uh, it's a good thing to bring this to the public's attention. He should be impeached. Governor Ron DeSantis issued an update on Operation Lone Star. Now, that's all about sending... Uh, law enforcement officers down to the Texas border in order to provide some security and to to help with enforcement of the law. Florida officials interact with over 10,000 undocumented migrants, including one MS-13 gang member on a terror watch list and and human smugglers. Uh, Governor DeSantis announced the Florida teams had made contact with over 10,000 undocumented migrants and assisted the Texas Department of uh, Public Safety with over 600 arrests, including felony charges for human smuggling, drug paraphernalia, unlawful carrying of weapons, a suspect with a capital murder warrant, and an MS-13 gang member currently on the U.S. terror watch list. Florida teams continue to intercede human smugglers and the drug traffickers with over 230 pounds of drugs worth an estimated $184,000 seized over the weekend. Florida's provided equipment and personnel from a variety of uh, law enforcement departments and really commend the governor for doing this. I wish all states would do that. I think that might make a dent in this uh, illegals crossing the border. Well, a desperate air and sea rescue effort to find the tourist submersible that went missing nearly uh, near the wreck of the Titanic quickened Tuesday with officials warning that the five people on board had less than two days of oxygen left. All communication was lost with the 21-foot craft during its descent Sunday in the wreck of the Titanic, which sits more than two miles, nearly four kilometers below the surface of the North Atlantic. There was a glimmer of hope. Yesterday, a Canadian plane used sonar picked up underwater noises in the search area. The U.S. Coast Guard uh, wrote on Twitter shortly that after midnight. 
Searchers detected banging sounds every 30 minutes for four hours, according to an internal U.S. government memo obtained by Rolling Stone. Some experts, though, these noises at time intervals indicate the crew is still alive. Boy, that's good news. If you make a continuous noise, that's not going to get picked up. But doing so every 30 minutes, that suggests human beings are there. That according to the BBC. But efforts to find the source of the banging have so far yielded negative results. According to the Coast Guard, there's about 40 hours of breathable air left based on the initial report, and that was about 1 o'clock yesterday. So that means there's, what, about 20 hours of uh, oxygen left if, in fact, there were uh, 96 hours of oxygen in the first place. Well, after more three years of uh, blissfully not having to pay down student loans, Borrowers will need to start resuming writing checks starting in October, that according to the Education Department said yesterday, with about 10%, get that, 10% of the U.S. population having loans in forbearance in uh, quarter one. The impact of consumer spending and retailers could be substantial. Analysts estimate that uh, these borrowers will collectively pay anywhere from $5 million to $10 billion, $5 billion to $10 billion per month for their student loans. That, according to the Wall Street Journal, that's a big chunk of cash of the $35 billion a month Americans spend on clothing and department stores. It could really cut back on consumer activity and spending. <laughs> Do you think some of these uh, people say, well, we'll just keep the money on hand in case as a contingent liability? Probably not. They probably spent the money, don't have it, and now this is going to be uh, a crisis uh, for many of these families that uh, owe, owe the money. And I think the Supreme Court is going to upheld uh, the decision to not allow <clears throat> the forgiveness of these uh, loans. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you part by Golf Shore Playhouse. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences, and you can find out more and get tickets. Some great performances coming up. Visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Bob Levy. Bob is the uh, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government, C-A-T-O dot O-R-G on the web. Terrific organization, Cato.org. So, Bob, we started a conversation about uh, the tension between, I'll call it tension, between maximizing profits and ESG, or environmental, social, and governance issues. And uh, just for our listeners' benefit who may not have heard the segment, maybe you could uh, remind us about ESG and what it's all about. Yeah, ESG is the new rallying cry on the left that says that corporate managers and even investors should be focused not on shareholder value, but rather on considerations like environment, that's the E part, uh, like social sensitivity, that's the S part, which means things like workplace safety, treatment of employees, uh, being involved in the community, and not being involved in such uh, products that the left disapproves of, like tobacco and firearms and fossil fuels. And then the G component in ESG is for good governance, which means transparency and accountability. And especially it means curbs on executive compensation and keeping your board of directors diverse, by which, of course, they mean racially and gender-based diverse. They don't mean diverse in terms of things like political ideology. So that's ESG and fidelity to those uh, components, so the argument goes, uh, will meld the disparate aims of the various stakeholders in the business. So we'll talk about uh, that here in a moment. But as a brief aside, you find it odd that both libertarians and socialists condemn uh, corporate rent sinking? 
there's a there seems to be a disconnect there. Last week we spoke about the ways in which profit maximization sometimes can uh, be a departure from maximizing shareholder value. One one of those uh, uh, departures is the difference between short term profits and long term profits. You know you can increase short term profits by doing things like. Uh, reducing research and development, not doing very much marketing and neglecting maintenance or uh, relaxing quality control. Um, And that, of course, long-term can be uh, detrimental to uh, shareholders. And another example of that uh, divergence is that you can leverage your capital structure, and that will promote higher profits short-term, but long-term it creates or it could create excessive Risk and the third thing we mentioned last week was these uh, um, rent-seeking uh, opportunities on beh- on the part of certain corporate managers, which basically means manipulating the political process without creating new wealth, and that's things like tariffs and subsidies and seeking government handouts and also occupational licensing. So it is true that socialists also condemn rent-seeking, as do libertarians. And that just points out, I think, that libertarians are not always pro-business. What we are is pro-liberty, and we energetically object when corporations use political favoritism to gain economic advantage. Now, for their part, the socialists, they consistently condemn private business when it exploits the political process. But libertarians, while we agree with the socialists on the underlying problem, we vigorously disagree about what the desired remedy should be. The socialists, they would redress this kind of collusion between business and government by abolishing private property altogether. And we know how well that worked out in like North Korea and Venezuela and Russia and Cuba. Libertarians have a quite different approach. We would constrain the politicians, by limiting their role in doling out government uh, largesse. So the incentive to to seek this kind of political bounty expands when the bureaucrats have more gifts that they can bestow. So the answer, of course, is to minimize government handouts, and that would minimize uh, this rent-seeking means by which uh, sometimes businesses exploit the political process. Yeah, so, so thanks for that clarification. How about the separation of management and ownership? Has there been a problem for corporations? Yeah, it's a chronic problem for publicly held corporations, separating management and ownership. It's tempting, uh, but I think it's not warranted to conclude that, well, we don't have to worry about that because the shareholders will monitor these executives that they hire. Mm-hmm. But that process is, uh, is difficult for one, there's not very much information that the shareholders get. And the second is how much it costs them to exercise these oversight responsibilities. And also, bear in mind that the shareholders, they're protected against some of this risk by having limited liability under a corporate structure. Yeah. And they can diversify their risk by means of other investments in their portfolio and using things like uh, derivatives. So we could, I think, address this problem by uh, having an active market in corporate control 
that is some businesses acquiring other businesses and driving the inefficient businesses into more efficient hands. <clears throat> but there are lots of government restrictions on that. Uh, there are government restrictions on mergers, on tender offers, and lots of other acquisitions. And that frustrates uh, this market for uh, corporate control. And then finally, we have a conflict of interest built in when executives select investment institutions to manage corporate pension funds. Those are very lucrative contracts. And those very same investment institutions may also be shareholders of the corporation, a built-in conflict of interest. No question. And we see a lot of that from BlackRock right now. So what's been the effect of executive compensation based on shareholder value? I think you've seen this enormous increase in CEO remuneration, and there's a big gap now between the top and bottom uh, incomes of the of, of various uh, employees. And there hasn't been uh, corresponding reductions in management compensation when uh, they fail to perform, when market prices decline. So the result, I think, has been uh, resentment and hostility uh, toward the uh, corporate executives and the companies involved and and the system, namely capitalism, that uh, creates these perceived inequities. Now, we know that democratic capitalism is the best governance model in the history of man. Right. But, you know, if we're going to nourish that model, the capitalism component has to be accepted uh, by the body politic. And, and that acceptance, I think, in turn, has to depend on uh, <clears throat> sort of encapsulating corporate goals in a form that the public deems equitable and trustworthy and economically rewarding. Hmm. So I think the leaders of private enterprise, they'd be well advised to address the public's distrust of this stark uh, profit maximization objective uh, that is talked about in the literature. So uh, what would you recommend as a more appealing version of Friedman's profit maximization directive? Well, I, I suggest a somewhat more refined and palatable uh, mission statement. And my proposal would be something something like this. Executives should manage land, labor, and capital resources in a manner that increases the return to investors over the long term. So that, that statement would still focus on shareholder value. It would properly emphasize long-term, not short-term. It would avoid this inflammatory uh, profit maximization language. And at the same time, it would spotlight the resources, land, labor, and capital that concern all the stakeholders uh, in the corporation. So we have a, a world today that's driven by social media. And in that kind of a world, perception is critical. And perception, in turn, can affect the acceptance or rejection of free markets as the foundation for our political economy. It's really critical that we do accept free markets to play that role. Mm -hmm. And that, in turn, would be triggered and driven and encouraged by a more refined and nuanced statement of corporate objectives. And for the government to stay in its lane. 
<laughs> I love Indeed. free markets yeah. to, to continue. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. C-A-T-O dot org is the website. Bob, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppies, professor as well as author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always a pleasure to hear your commentary on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And it's always a pleasure to be here, Bob. Thank you, Andy. So we've been doing these interviews how many years? Eight, eight years? I've forgotten. A long Seven time. Seven or eight. I'm, I lose track <coughs> you know, sometimes. It's, well, what we found out less is... Maybe or maybe more. Who knows? Exactly. Age, I, I lose track of these things. Well, so we always start off with some good news. Do you have some good news for us? Well, today it was a a hard stretch to get to some good news. I thought I was going to be stuck with just saying the Yankees won last night. Uh, But let me me talk about what I think are good news stories. Uh, The Los Angeles Times, just uh, in regards to uh, Robert Kennedy Jr.'s campaign for the presidency entering the primary, indicated that uh, RFK Jr. is a threat to your health and our democracy. Now, why is this good news? I think it's good news because it indicates that this far-left newspaper certainly senses that, uh, that RFK Jr. is a threat to Biden during this campaign period. Now, why is that good news? I think it may flush, figuratively or literally, uh, Joe Biden out of his basement during this campaign period, Bob. 
I, uh, from your lips to God's ears, we can only hope. And it's kind of interesting that uh, uh, people are questioning in the Democrat Party, why isn't the mainstream me uh, media, why don't they mention RFK Jr. is actually a convicted felon? Apparently he was a... Uh, uh, had a drug problem one time and uh, was convicted. But here's the thing. I mean, can you imagine them complaining about the justices when <laughs> the strange quite, quite quite amazing. The degree of hypocrisy knows no limitations, Bob. It's just this. It's fantastic. But you know, again, this is a uh, a symptom of a totalitarian government. You know, what they say has no relationship to reality. Yeah. Uh, they try to form opinion based on uh, distortions, corruptions of things. Uh, even even making things out of whole cloth, uh, and that's exactly what we're seeing. What we're seeing in America right now with so many of the the issues. L let me just mention what I think is another good good news story. Uh, certainly of a sort. I wish it was a higher number, but that 55% of Americans say the Trump indictment is politically motivated as compared to 45% who say it is a valid case. 56% uh, say the indictment interf is interference by the Department of Justice and that the 2024 elections are, are, are in serious jeopardy because of all of this. So I, I think with that kind of recognition, now, at this point in American history, I don't see where the uh, overwhelming... Uh, status of the public's position uh, affects the outcomes that uh, that dramatically. Yeah. Certainly it would have been far more so 30 or 40 years ago. But again, I think it's a good story, Bob, when we see that apparently that many Americans are certainly uh, aware of exactly what's happening, certainly as it pertains to President Trump. Absolutely, uh, Andy. Well, I, I'm really curious to hear your reaction and thoughts about the Hunter Biden plea deal that they've been worked out. Do you think there was justice involved? Well, there wasn't even a there wasn't even a crime charged when the plea deal was made. Uh, in terms of uh, what he actually uh, uh, pled to, if that's the right uh, past blue perfect of plead, uh, certainly he, uh, he 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 pled to uh, two misdemeanor tax charges with the vast majority of his tax records being redacted. So again, this is a very incomplete circumstance. Uh, he was left with a 1.2 million dollar charge. I wonder where, in fact, uh, uh, the money originally came from for the 1.2 million dollars that he should have paid, and where he'll get it right now to pay it. But uh, those are questions that will not be answered. The other charge is a federal gun charge which uh, I, I have heard as being typically uh, resulting in punishment of three to five years in prison right. for exactly the same circumstance uh, that, in fact, uh, Hunter Biden will walk away from uh, by entering a diversion program. Now, diversion programs are typically only offered if there is a present circumstance of drug abuse or alcohol abuse. Uh, apparently, at least we've been led to believe, that at this point in Hunter's life, there is no such thing going on. Uh, I think what we're seeing here is exactly what uh, President Trump predicted two weeks ago, uh, when he indicated that there would be, in the future, immediate future, there would be a very, very limited slap on the wrist for Hunter Biden to try to demonstrate that justice is fair in America. So as they try to send President Trump to jail for 400 years, this plea deal with Hunter Biden uh, is apparently uh, the, the equivalency in terms of American justice being fair, Bob. Uh, you just shake your head. How, how can this possibly be? Now, uh, I wonder, though, 
uh, with all these redactions and everything they found in their tax returns, my guess is that not all the income that he received has been declared. So it makes me wonder if perhaps this case can't be reopened at a later point. Well, I mean, the, I think it can be. The question is, is will it be? That's yeah. that's dubious at this point. Uh, certainly the other implications about um, uh, the pay-for-play or circumstance in terms of Ukraine and China uh, was not even touched on. The, uh, the, the Hunter Biden laptop was not alluded to in terms of uh, what just transpired. And, and again, in my personal view, I really do not care all that much what happens to Hunter Biden. Right. Now, again, I, I think a, cri- a criminal should be charged and sent, sent away. Uh, on the other hand, I think what we're looking at here is a family situation that needs to be addressed. I think the big guy certainly, uh, as, as was identified, is, is President Biden. And to me, that is the significance of all of this. And if that is not part of what uh, is, is brought out of this whole situation, then what happens to Hunter Biden is, as far as my personal perspective, is, is relatively insignificant, Bob. That's a great point. And uh, Comber, uh, again, is he, I think he's uh, doggedly determined, especially after hearing uh, these results uh, for Hunter Biden. I'm sh- I think he's, I'm not going to say doubling down, but he's going to intensify his efforts in order to reveal everything that's gone on with regard to uh, the Biden crime and bribe family. I mean, it certainly is there. I wish Grassley would uh, re- release the uh, the interviews that he says on he has on tape with the uh, the former CEO of Barisma. Uh, Seventeen recordings that, uh, according to Grassley, uh, strongly indicate the uh, the reality of of bribes being taken uh, uh, by the Biden family as an as an entity. Uh, and I, I think we have to start getting to some uh, finality of these situations. They float around in the system, uh, and then unfortunately they seem to disappear. Uh, as I'm reading now, you can see many of the uh, the Democrat leftist uh, sites. Uh, they indicate that this is all over. That this this in fact this plea deal was not just the the deal for the the, the taxes and the gun charge. This was a totality deal in which no further action would be taken against Hunter Biden. Now I have no. No confirmation of that, except I know that is being alluded to in several different sources. Well, I must say that uh, nobody has the authority to speak for Congress, and they supervise those efforts, so I would imagine that's not going to deter uh, Comer at all. It, it still must result in actions by the DOJ, and uh, I, you know, that's, that's where the problem is. We have uh, Garland halfway through his, his, his term in, in office, and I, uh, I think that uh, he's proven that uh, one thing I can be happy for, and a good news story again, probably the third time I've mentioned this, is Garland is not on the Supreme Court. I think that would have been a, a complete travesty based on how he's handled himself uh, in the Attorney General's chair, Bob. No question. Andy, we need to take a break. Can you stick around? Uh, I'll, I'll be here, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Finish what you started with the Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. 
You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now I'll play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me, and he'll help you too. Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I just want to remind you that Lulabee's Diner, who serve, they serve great breakfast and lunch there in the Green Tree Shopping Center. <clears throat> well, they're serving dinner Wednesday through Saturday night, 4 to 8 p.m. It is terrific. Great food, great prices, casual, no reservations needed. Again, uh, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. The year is almost half through, can you imagine, huh? And I know it's the uh, summer solstice. It was just January yesterday. Exactly, and now our days are getting shorter. So, yeah. uh, you know, one of the things we're concerned about is free elections, the elections and te- election integrity. There's been some recent news about that. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's the most important issue uh, in America. I think uh, if it is not handled uh, in a way that uh, creates legality uh, in terms of elections and confidence in the American people, that that nothing else ultimately will matter. But before I get there, let me just mention an issue that uh, is, is I think, a a very important issue, and uh, it's it's not being reported as dramatically as it should be. Big Pharma uh, company Merck has uh, brought a lawsuit against the federal government for some of the provisions in the Inflation Reduction Act. In the Inflation Reduction Act, it suggests that the government can negotiate process, uh, prices with the pharmaceutical companies. In fact, it is not a negotiation. Under the new law, Bob, the government can strong-arm companies to sell their most popular medications at a price that is dictated by the federal government or be taxed out of existence in a matter of weeks, the way the, uh, the structure of this Inflation Reduction Act is, is, huh. is designed. So here we have a circumstance. And uh, the problem being, Bob, I think, uh, historically, is that uh, Big, uh, Big Farm has taken a, uh, a negative rap in the American public's eye. They, they tend to see it in a negative manner. Uh, on the other hand, I think there's no industry that saves more lies 
in terms of its research and development, uh, its, its products that come to the market uh, that, that help people live longer and better lives. Uh, and yet this industry is almost universally seen as negative. Now, if we look at the worldwide pricing structure on pharmaceuticals, most countries in the world have price controls on their pharmaceuticals. Uh, and essentially, that has left America as being the go-to place to cover, if, if not in, uh, for profit, at least to cover investment cost in research and development. Right. So with right now, with this Inflation uh, uh, Reduction Act, having serious implication for the pharmaceutical industry in America, this could seriously shut down uh, the, the, the research and development area and, and the aggressiveness and the, ph- the pharmaceutical companies. We're already seeing dramatic medical uh, pharmaceutical shortages, uh, particularly as it pertains to, to cancer drugs. Now, these are existing drugs, but with this issue with uh, I described with Merck, uh, there is a potential that most, future research and development will, in fact, be not in any way uh, cost-coverable uh, with the with the pricing structure, Bob. So as I understand the issue, the way you're presenting it, it sounds like we're pulling for Merck to win this case. I'm sorry, I missed that point, Bob. Uh, it sounds like uh, we're pulling for Merck to actually uh, prevail in this case. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the way it's being being presented in several areas where I've been reading about this. They describe Merck as an unlikely voice of freedom. So, uh-huh. uh, you know, that's, I think, exactly what we're seeing here is the government is trying to run roughshod over an industry uh, that is a certainly a private industry, and there's, there's an understanding of why they would try to at least negotiate Medicare costs. But on the other hand, this is not a negotiated process. This would be a an absolute uh, demand, and if the if the pharmaceutical companies don't meet it, they can be literally in a, in a very short space of time be taxed out of existence. So yeah, I think that's exactly what we're seeing here: is Merck fighting for freedom in this particular case? Well, and again, anytime, even with the best of uh, of intentions, anytime you have the government meddling and pricing. In any kind of commodity, especially in healthcare, it's going to screw the markets up, and it's going to screw up availability. It's going to screw up all kinds of things. So, what, I mean, this is particularly true in pharmaceuticals, where they have a limited uh, control over the product. Uh, <coughs> you know, and that includes clinical trials. If the clinical trials take ten years, and the uh, the, the the patent uh, control is seventeen years, that leaves them with seven years to recoup what might be billions of dollars of cost in terms of research and development. Uh, and so this is, this is an industry with a very tight profit margin, uh, and it has to recoup its, its, uh, its investment. Otherwise, they're just not going to do it. There's, uh, they could they make candy rather than pharmaceuticals rather than, uh, rather than what they're doing. So this is a serious issue because, again, it does have direct implication uh, for not only current uh, pharmaceutical situations, but certainly in the immediate future, Bob. Well, again, the solution to the problem is not government interference. It is getting government out of health care, making uh, care patient-centric, make the patient in charge of being able to not only shop for quality, but also for, for price. And uh, that in and of itself would drive down prices. 
Well, I, I think you're, you're absolutely correct. Unfortunately, again, as I started out, the, the public's view of uh, Big Farm is, is so negative that most politicians are, are more than willing to dump on that industry uh, and, and then come out looking like, looking like our heroes uh, because they say they're demanding lower prices from Big Farm. Uh, and that's, that's the position that they're going to take. They're, no one in, in the political world is going to come out defending Big Farm, Bob. Uh, you're absolutely right. So I <clears throat> appreciate that clarification on a very important issue there. Now, back to voter fraud. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, Carl, uh, the uh, report, but uh, Dominion and their voting machines have been found to have uh, total corruption. I mean, they, it's just uh, unspeakable, the amount of corruption. I've forgotten the name of the guy that wrote the paper, but a, prof a pr professor... Uh, very knowledgeable and very credible. So uh, here, many, for example, Virginia uh, has dependence on, in fact, I guess it's Georgia, has dependence on these voting machines, and they said they will continue to use them into 2024. What are your oh, thoughts? Quite amazing. There's enough smoke here. We have to presume there's some fire there, Bob. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we certainly, perhaps we can't have an absolute uh, documentation of Dominion uh, fraud that is intentionally built in, but there's enough uh, potential to corrupt their voting machines that certainly this has to be taken out of the process. Uh, the the uh, ballot harvesting is one of them. The, the lack of voter ID. I don't think anyone can advocate against voter ID without simultaneously desiring voter fraud. Uh, it, it is no other reason, no other reason to advocate for that. And I think we have to start calling these things out for what they are. Right. These are not ways of helping the public to get to the polls and making voting easier for them. These are all devices, every single one of them right. that is, is in place right now is a methodology to, to allow for voter fraud to take place. Andy, I appreciate those comments. I do want to get your thoughts on Durham testimony that should be happening this week. Can you stick around? Yes, I'll be here. Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The confident retirement approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. They help elected officials have winning strategies in legislatures. I hope you'll visit the website and find out more. VFGA.org. Andy, I wanted to get your thoughts. Oh, by the way, you were visiting with Andrew Jopper, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, I, want, I wanted to get your thoughts on the Durham uh, has issued his report. Now he's being interviewed by the subcommittee. What, what are your expectations of, around Let me that? Let just have to make a passing thought in terms of Ronan McDaniel as head of the RNC. <clears throat> and uh, certainly the uh, GOP underperformed in 2018 under a watch. Certainly in two, in 2020 uh, and certainly 2022 so we can have three election cycles that uh, where rona mcdaniel uh, oversaw the republican party's uh, response uh, and we've seen almost nothing happening in response to uh, the voter fraud issues and uh, that uh, she has to lead that charge uh, she was supported for her position by by president trump i, I do not understand his his advocacy of rona mcdaniel but uh, uh, again, I think we have to get somebody in there like Dylan, who was the other candidate, uh, to be there and uh, with a little more aggressiveness in challenging the voter fraud issue. So I agree with that's that. That's just a, a passing thought. Thank if you. we get to the to the Durham report, and yesterday he was behind closed doors for the the House uh, Select Committee. Uh, today he'll be in public. Um, as with all of these things, uh, there's. Uh, continuously so much smoke that is generated, uh, and yet uh, we, we don't get to a point of fire. So I think the public, certainly the public that cares about these things, is looking for fire. So I sort of scribbled down a few questions that I'd like to see Durham ask uh, during today's uh, testimony. For example, uh, why, were more, why were more senior officials like FBI Director Comey, his Deputy Director McCabe, former lead agent Strzok, and others not charged with any crimes, and was a conspiracy case ever considered? Uh, why were many of the key players not even interviewed by your team, uh, Durham? Uh, so, to me, this, this, this is the question that I'd like to see answered. I'd also like to see him respond to, did former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff former CIA Director John Brennan and other top intelligence officials make false statements, furthering the public narrative that Trump was a, a, a Russian stooge when they knew there was no evidence of collusion with Vladimir Putin. So I'd like to see, see uh, here uh, Durham's comments on these things right. and then suggest as a derivative of those comments what courses of action are going to be taken, particularly as it pertains to uh, actively uh, doing things to suppress the politicization of the FBI. They can't be left in charge of this themselves. So I'm hoping that in today's public hearing, uh, probing questions are asked. I hope Durin answers them in the most uh, obviously correct and truthful manner that he can. But I think the questions have to then extend into now what? 
And if the now what question isn't answered, then we have just more smoke where there will not be any fire, Bob. Well, it's a great point, and my hope is that it will lead to uh, some serious uh, questions about the uh, FBI, whether it's corrupted on the seventh floor, and I believe it is, <clears throat> and uh, uh, the CIA about the testimony of uh, these uh, Com Comey and, uh, and others, <clears throat> and uh, that it uh, would lead to, for example, some sort of uh, charges. That, I mean, Congress has the authority to uh, to raise these questions, and perhaps because uh, it wasn't covered by Durham, perhaps it could be covered by uh, testimony after he reports. Well, what just recently happened with the censure vote on Adam Schiff, 20 Republicans voted against censuring Adam Schiff. Now, there's a second vote coming up on this sometime this month, as, as best I understand it. Right. <clears throat> but for someone not to understand that Adam Schiff actively engaged, knowingly engaged, in lies and distortions to the House committee itself and to the American people, and that obviously censure was appropriate. Uh, these 20 Republicans, that included Massey, uh, which sort of surprised me as one of the, the 20 uh, congressmen, uh, but yet the 20, 20 Republicans felt it appropriate to vote against that. So when we talk about what we can anticipate the, uh, the House doing or the political world doing, I think it is always in doubt in today's America, Bob. I think that's absolutely true, Andy. By the way, uh, I published this morning The Theater of the American Absurd by Andrew Joppa. Uh, on my, if you go to my website, correct me if I'm wrong, is a pull-down tab at the top of the red, uh, website. T check out this column. I found it so interesting and amusing, Andy. It's really a great piece. Glad to hear that, Bob. Thank you. Yeah. Andy, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. See you soon, Bob. All right. Thank you, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobhardenhotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I hope you will tell your friends and acquaintances uh, to listen in. That's one of the ways we support our advertisers and uh, express gratitude for them supporting the show. We couldn't do it uh, without them. Tomorrow, we're going to visit with Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Michael Cannon is the director of health policy studies at the Cato Institute. Seton Motley is the founder and president of Less Government, and we'll visit uh, with the former mayor of Naples, Bill Barnett, Get the good scoop on what's happening here locally as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. Thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>